right now we are measuring and our entire measuring of cities is, is there a traffic jam or not? Maybe a little bit of air pollution, but we don't measure good things. We don't measure how many people met each other, uh, how many children were able to just run on the street without being scared, how many parents uh, didn't hold their kids' hand because it was safer. And it's, so it was nicer to walk on the street. I think that in a way, in terms of measuring, uh, like we do with, let's say, more new ways to measure green spaces or new ways to measure active spaces, I think that's that's where uh, quote-unquote smart cities should go, trying to find ways to measure what is important rather to then try to find solutions to what we now measure, which is completely the wrong things. Hi, Smart Community friends. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have an interesting conversation with Lior Steinberg. Lior is an urban planner currently based in Rotterdam and the co-founder of Humankind City, which is an agency for urban change helping cities, organizations, brands, and other change makers tackle the most complex urban challenges. Lior tells us about his multidisciplinary background and how he came to be an urban planner. He talks about his love of technology and finding ways to make life better through technology before discussing the diverse backgrounds he sees in the world of urbanism. Lior then discusses what a smart community is to him and how the concept of a stupid city helps him determine whether the cities we live in now are smart cities. Before we talk about some of the technology solutions that are not always the most efficient, and how more communities can incorporate different modes of transport. Lior then tells us about his company and some of the projects they have been working on. We discuss Lior's smart approach to implementing plans for his clients before discussing the need for communities to identify what is important to them, be able to measure that data, and use technology to then improve those communities. We finish our chat discussing the emerging trends of micromobility and how more communities are adopting these modes of transport and the 5G network with more available sensors. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Leo. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And let's just jump straight in. Can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah. So, well, my name is Leo Steinberg. I'm an urban planner and I am a co-founder of Humankind City. It's a Rotterdam-based agency for urban change. But my background, like many of your people you've hosted, is quite multidisciplinary. I think that's something that is common to many people excited about smart cities or great cities. I used to be a computer programmer for six years. So that's what I did when I started my adult life. After six years, I realized that I don't want to sit in front of a computer every day. And that's why I made a change to urban planning. I obtained my master's in urban planning from Stockholm University, where I learned really about uh, working with communities and the importance of uh, of inclusion in cities. I mean, Stockholm is quite famous for uh, for building a just society. 
uh, or at least uh, in some uh, in some aspects. Uh, so that's where I got really passionate into the understanding of the needs of different communities uh, and different uh, uh, social groups and ethnic groups. So that's that's what I learned there. And for the past six, five, six years, I've been living in the Netherlands, in uh, now in Rotterdam, before that in a city called Groningen. Uh, that's where we started, Humankind City. Just to finish off the the journey from uh, programming in Tel Aviv to being an urban planner in Rotterdam, I am still really uh, fascinated by technology. I love technology. I'm against the use of technology as a marketing tool to sell big contracts to municipalities, but I love technology. I'm excited about it. And I am also excited about finding ways to use technology to make life better. But I try to look at it from the urban planning side rather than from the technology side. And unlike many people in the field of smart cities, I know both worlds. So I'm not really excited when someone tells machine learning. Uh, I know how it works. I I mean, it's not a, a magic. Mm. No, I love that. And um, I actually didn't realize you had that computer programming background. I may have realized originally, but yeah, I was just thinking like urban planning. Okay, yeah, cool. So, and I've kind of gone the other way. I'm not a planner. I hang out with a lot of planners, but I started as an engineer and then going into the smart city place. So, you know, building stuff, infrastructure, et cetera. So I understood that kind of, you know, government side of things, et cetera. And now I'm doing a master's of data science. So now I'm playing with the machine learning and, and, you know, the analytics and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I wanted to like flip the lid on, well, what does it mean when we say machine learning? What can it do? What can't it do? And yeah, it's not magic, right? Building models and that type of thing as well. So, and I think it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people that I interview, one thing we do all have in common, we're all very different, but that we do have that multidisciplinary kind of approach and knowing two sides of something is I think really important or really makes it really interesting because yeah I like how you said you're not excited when people say machine learning because okay well yeah I did that been there done that yeah and I think I mean I first of all I think it's important to like you understand the world from different angles from the engineering but then also maybe from computer science and then maybe from sociology or psychology but I think that the most important skill and that's why I mean learning different things is is important but the most important skill in urbanism, in my opinion, is the ability to understand that there are different perspectives. So that's the, the making the connections between different worlds. So in this way, it's just a practice. So learning computer programming, but then urban planning, it's just a practice to learn the third and the fourth and the fifth thing that, or the fifth elements. I think, I think that's, you see it a lot in the, in the world of urbanism, people who started as whatever, and then realized that they love cities uh, and went to study urban planning or, or like you, starting from engineering and going to, to data science. Mm. Yeah. And I think in, I don't know, this day and age, I think that's an old person thing to say these days. I realized that the more I hang out with younger people than me, I used to be the young person and, and I, that's what old people say too, right? Um, that, now it's like, oh, well, back in my well, day. Well, that's reality, right? I mean, we, we used to be the young people. We used to be the young people. I was always the youngest person like in any, you know, boardroom or or whatever, whereas now I'm not so much anymore, which is great because I love to get those different perspectives, et cetera, and then learn that the things that I say that I thought were cool are not actually cool anymore and they don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, let's go back to you. 
you know, we started talking about people moving around, doing, you know, deciding that they love cities and other things like that. Let's talk about smart cities and smart communities. What is a smart community to you? Okay, so do you want the, the, the short answer or the, or the long answer? I would like the long answer. Okay, so the long answer would be, it's very difficult uh, to, to define it. And it's a tricky question, of course. And I think uh, among, uh, let's say, the new wave urbanists or the more human-oriented urbanists, we all agree that a smart city has nothing to do with sensors per se or with uh, interconnected uh, machines. It's more about the needs of a community and creating safe, accessible cities. So I will not say anything new here, just, just like everybody says. I mean, we need to plan for people first and then use technology to make it happen. And in cities, we've been doing it for generations, for thousands of years. We, we have a need and then we find a technology that helps this need. I mean, paving a road is also an amazing technology, probably more, it was more revolutionary then than just, uh, I don't know, inventing a new sensor. So in that sense, I'm, I'm all in for technologies making life of people better. But for me, a smart city would be basically the opposite of a stupid city. So now saying smart city uh, is very much into, I mean, when you say it, you just, I mean, even if you don't believe in it, the picture you have in your mind are those commercials and marketing we get from tech giants. They are doing the work to try to sell us a product. I like to always go to the stupid city question because then it's very easy to see the, the difference between a, a smart and a stupid city. So take, for instance, uh, traffic. A stupid city is a place where you need to sit two hours in traffic in order to get to work and then one hour in order to pick up your children and then get home tired and realize that you've been spending three hours in traffic in order to just live your life. So that's stupid. And then what is smart? Smart for maybe for a technology company that tries to sell self-driving car or interconnected traffic lights. A smart city would be a place where technology would solve those problems. Uh, for me, I know that those solutions don't work either because we already have them and they don't work or they've never been proved to be working like self-driving car that might even lead to more traffic in the future. Uh, so I look for what works. I think that's a smart thing to do, right? Look for what worked and uh, just copy that. So I'm looking at a place like the Netherlands where I live now or Denmark or other countries around the world who realized let's give more space for public transport, walking, cycling. That solves traffic. In Dutch cities, there is no traffic jams in the city centers because everybody has bicycle or can walk or use public transportation. So that's for me a smart city. A smart city is a city that looks at solutions that already worked. They can be technological, they can be policy solutions and just uh, adapt them to the local context and not afraid for making big changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I um, I love the concept of, well, what is a stupid city? And I think some of us would then look around and go, oh, where are we? What which kind are we sitting in right now? And I love bringing it back to those other forms that, you know, an autonomous vehicle, again, is still a vehicle sitting on a road at the end of the day. And yeah, we may be able to be more productive when it is proven or whatever the case may be. But if we're still sitting in traffic or we're sitting in even more traffic, then yeah, is it is it smart or is it just, you know, now we've got a technology solution but not actually solving the problem that we're trying to actually solve, which is being able to, yeah, have better cities. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's say that the dream of self-driving electric cars will happen. And 
we all agree that it will not solve traffic problems. So you will still sit in traffic. You will still take much more space than you deserve to take. So because you're one person sitting in a big metal box that takes the space of at least 10 people that could walk or sit in a transit. Uh, and then what you would do, you would not need to drive. So you would use the smartphone and just like look at your smartphone and work. And then we just need to ask ourselves, did we create a smart solution or did we create yet another miserable commuting experience? But instead of driving, you will just uh, be looking at commercials on your phone. Mm. Yeah, now you're working like 12 hours a day instead of eight or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes. And I think wellness and health is something that we need to really feed into there as well. Because, yeah, like you just said, like, are we just, yeah, okay, now there's a more efficient solution, but we've just, it's still, it's like equally as miserable, which, yeah, is definitely not what we want to do. So I think there's lots of examples of that too. It's like, okay, great. Now we have another way to, I guess, do something that we're not really that interested in doing in the first place. But yeah, I uh, being in Amsterdam was a real experience for me, particularly coming from Australia that, you know, you had to watch out for like bicycle traffic as soon as you like, you know, step off your, the train. I was like, oh my God, what's happening here? And yeah, it was just, it was wild really. And then even I met with the director of traffic for the Amsterdam Traffic Authority, whatever they're called, sorry, can't remember. Um, transit agency and talking about autonomous vehicles and she was like yeah we haven't really looked into that because we're just trying to make our public transport more effective and we actually have like bicycle jam problems like we've got this like next level of of planning issues of yeah there's too many bicycles or parking for bicycles which you know in Australia that is a problem that many cities would love to have because it's that next order issue where you're like oh we've solved this problem okay you know, there's always going to be further and further things that you can do to improve things and make it better. But yeah, it was really interesting because, I mean, this is probably fairly normal for you, but you know, going to a coffee shop and she pulls up on her bike, she folds a bike, it sits right next to her as she, you know, we have our coffee and then she unpacks it again and rides away. And, you know, that would never happen here in Australia at this point in time, because it's like, oh, how inconvenient there's a bike there, but there it's, it's normal, right? But yeah, imagine your quality of life where you don't, so you, you hop on your, on your vehicle. In the Netherlands, it would be a bicycle. In Australia or Israel, it would be a, a car. And then you want to stop in a, in a coffee shop and you can, just can't do it on a car. Or if you see a neighbor passing by, you cannot stop and talk with them. And it's like a daily experience that every day you go through the same terrible commute and the crazy thing about it is that, I mean, it's so miserable, the, the way that most people go to work around the world nowadays. It's, it's so terrible. And in such a terrible situation, uh, we just look for magic solutions. And we are being promised this solution right now. And we just look for this solution. So we are waiting for that. Big tech giants see this need. They might also believe that it might solve a solution. I think most urbanists who have integrity know that it's, it cannot solve traffic problems, or at least if they just spend 10 minutes thinking about the math and the geometry of cities, realizing that it just doesn't work, uh, having self-driving cars, taking everyone to anywhere. I mean, it, it will just create the same problem. Uh, but we are so looking forward to solve this terrible problem. And 
have an experience that is more similar to Amsterdam experience where you can just pick up a coffee while you're driving that uh, we just say, okay, yeah, well, it's so, it's so terrible now. Let's just hope that self-driving cars will solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is, it is an interesting one. I think that, yeah, particularly in Australia, there's a, there's a, there's a, a place and it, whether it's in cities, I don't necessarily think it is for autonomous technology, but also the fact that we want to shape what it looks like when it comes in. So it, it is thinking about that active component of it. Um, it is thinking about how that can work together with not just not just autonomous vehicles, but you know whatever new technology. But also, like you said, it's prioritizing those modes that are going to increase the enjoyment of being able to commute or travel or whatever the case, you know, whatever we're actually doing. But I also feel like uh, when I was in MCM as well, I just felt much, I don't know, very safe when I was walking around. And it was like this bicycle just makes you happy, even if you're not on one. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, just so happy. I think it's the sound. It's the sound of uh, the bike uh, rolling. It, It at least makes me happy. Yes, me too. Okay. Um, anyway, enough about that. Let's move on. Uh, oh yeah, tell us about the projects and things that you're currently working on. Yeah, so we have an office called Humankind. Uh, it is based in Rotterdam, and I think that the name pretty much says what we try to do. We try to make cities that are human and kind uh, to ourselves, to others, and to the planet. And the projects we are working on all have sort of a similar topic, which are, let's look at urban issues that we have right now, try to look at them from a different angle or from a multidisciplinary way and propose an urban solution, policy, intervention, etc. So we've been doing a lot of research, uh, projects, strategy, documents, and urban public space design. So it goes everything urban uh, or everything city. We are not working per se outside the city centers or outside cities. So I cannot say much about self-driving cars in uh, small communities outside the city. I mean, there are people that are much more uh, capable to answer those questions. But when it comes to the city center or to, to, to cities or urban urban settlements, that's where we are working. So just an example for a project. Uh, we've been in Rotterdam. We've been working a lot on a project called Happy Streets, in which we, together with the municipality and other parties, we retrofit, um, using tactical urbanism, we retrofit streets uh, to accommodate more people and show the future. So it might be we take uh, traveling lanes and turn them into bigger sidewalks or places to sit or or, um, bike lanes, tactical bike lanes, and we measure the effect of those interventions. But then later on, we take those results and uh, we take also the feedback from the community or from the people and we propose, a, let's say, a permanent solution. So that, that would be an example for a project. But another type of project would be developing a tool to measure the greenness of streets. So using different technologies like satellite imagery, like satellite imagery or um, yeah, image recognition tools to just basically measure the greenness of the street and identify in which streets or which places in the street there is enough space and need to add more green elements. So that, that would be another type of project. Yeah, no, it sounds really interesting. And 
So when you're doing the happy street, so you get then feedback from the community about what they like, what they don't like, and then do you then take that and I guess adjust as as needed? Yeah, I think, I mean, this idea of trying out before you make a permanent plan, I would call it a smart approach. <laughs> you, instead of investing millions in retrofitting a street, you would do it for a week or a month. You will just try out, see what happens, and then you will take... You will first see with your own eyes if it works, your solution work. Then you will get the feedback and then you will just change the plan according to what happened. I mean, that's a little bit like uh, startup uh, companies work in an agile way, right? You you get first, uh, you do the first sprint, you get the feedback, then you adapt. I think, I mean, it's not the solution for everything. You cannot build a metro a metro project like this, right? You cannot, <laughs> you cannot with tactical urbanism, you just dig out the... the a small uh, tunnel and then a bigger one. But things like closing off the street for cars on the weekend, this is something you can just try out. And then if it works, you can think about, can we do it in the future? What does it take to do in order to do it in the future? Do we need to work better with the businesses there? Do we need to provide more ways to arrive to the city without a car, etc.? So this is something you can do in a agile way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think trying stuff out is really key. And particularly when so I'm thinking about some like cities and, and towns in Australia where it may be the first time that they're doing something that's a bit different. But we know that we do close streets for events and, you know, that type of thing. So just making it a more, you know, more regular event and then, okay, well, this works quite well. And then, you know, adding on and, and seeing how yeah, how far you can kind of go with that. And then measuring the data, right? Like, are people using it? What are they saying? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, if you do it, I mean, that's the place where you need to start measuring. So right now we are measuring and our entire measuring of cities is, is there a traffic jam or not? Maybe a little bit of air pollution, but we don't measure good things. We don't measure how many people met each other, uh, how many children were able to just run on the street without being scared how many parents uh, didn't hold their kids' hand because it was safer and it, so it was nicer to walk on the street. I think that in a way, in terms of measuring, uh, like we do with, let's say, more new ways to measure green spaces or new ways to measure active spaces, I think that's, that's where, uh, quote-unquote, smart cities should go, trying to find ways to measure what is important rather to then try to find solutions to what we now measure which is completely the wrong things. Yeah, no, I love that. And I had a couple of conversations with people kind of around measuring, yeah, like having wellness as a as a measurement, like a, what's the word, like a KPI or like a, a target rather than just, you know, okay, well, we'll have, you know, these things that we always think about, low traffic or air pollution, et cetera. But then, yeah, an increase of these good things that we want to see in our cities and how we actually measure those. Because I think a lot of the time we think that it's really like intangible, like we can't measure these things. But I think if we can use technology in a good way to measure these things, to make it quite obvious whether they're going up or down, then we can do something about it as well. Yeah, and there are companies offering offering products that I, I find a bit creepy. I mean, measuring... I don't know, uh, putting a camera and measuring the amount of smiles or uh, or just uh, offering cities to, I don't know, censor social media 
activity to tell the city if people are happy or not, I find it uh, I find it a bit crazy. But I think that if we will go back to old way of urbanism, which means a bit slower, sitting on the street, observing the people, seeing what's important, I think then later on we can go back to the office and think about technologies that can uh, foster that or measure that. Right now we have a little bit, it's, it's a bit shallow. The way we are now solving it or the or companies are now solving it is a bit shallow. Oh, you want to know want to know what people think? Let's see what data is available or social media is available. Let's just use it, etc. So, mm. no, thanks for bringing that up because I was thinking, yeah, let's not go into like having facial recognition and you know, oh, there's this many people smiling and this person's angry or whatever. No, that is not what we're talking about here. So, thank you for bringing that in um, <laughs> because, yeah, that is interesting. I've, uh, actually, I need to get him on to the podcast. I've heard him speak a couple of times and doing research into facial recognition and, like, the measuring of people, like, oh, this person's suspicious or whatever and how wrong it is essentially because the data you have is what produces the output, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, all sorts of wrong. Okay, well, let's zoom to the future now. Tell us about the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough. Well, unfortunately, uh, we all live in those bubbles, right? So probably everything I will talk about, I mean, all the people around me have been hearing about a lot, but uh, it might be that in other places people didn't hear about it. So I would say what happened during the COVID situation where cities have been just removing a car infrastructure and replacing it with more places for people to cycle, to walk. I think those are emerging trends that uh, if leading cities will stick to, they will not go back. So you see Paris that just basically closed off streets in the city center, allowing cyclists to go there. Tel Aviv in Israel has closed, I think, 12 or 11 or 12 streets completely for cars. We've been involved in some of those projects. Rotterdam has been during the first wave of the, the first outbreak of the coronavirus. People were allowed only to sit outside and then basically hundreds of parking spaces were removed. So uh, businesses would be able to sit more, to let more people sit outside. So those trends of just basically realizing we, we don't have a space problem in the city. We have a mobility problem in which we give too much space to, to cars. That, that, that's a trend that is coming up. There are, of course, the, the 5G trend and the, I mean, ever cheaper, ever more uh, available sensors. I'm not afraid because I, I think it is exciting to see what, what it can bring, but I'm afraid that because it becomes so available and it seems like there is not much cost or at least, so, um, let's say, popularity cost for this decision makers, they can just show that they are doing something for the city. I'm, I'm afraid that more and more cities will just uh, pack their their streets with sensors, hoping that one of the algorithms will bring a solution to the variety of urban issues. So that's definitely a trend that is happening and is happening with big, big, big uh, tenders and uh, and deals happening between cities and, and big companies. So we don't always hear about it, but you see those big deals happening. And the last trend that is, which I would just say interesting to follow would be the the shared mobility companies that basically solve some 
issue or provide a solution for a need, which are those like, let's say, short distance traveling, all those e-scooters and the shared bikes. Uh, but on the other end, they, they have a very weakened way of working, which is they just leave their products on the street, on the public space. And I think that there is a lot of pushback from residents that suffer from that and people that, that got hit by those scooters or uh, that cannot walk on the sidewalk because the scooters block their sidewalk. So that is something in general, in terms of policy and the question, who owns public space? What is a city? What is innovation in a city? And how can we redistribute space uh, between the public and private companies? I think that's something to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think there's um, like different approaches that people are taking for micromobility, like new, I guess, modes um, for sure. And when I traveled around, I definitely saw many different approaches to like every street was littered with scooters or whatever, or there was no scooters whatsoever. They weren't allowed, but some had like shared bicycles, which were a bit more I guess you can't just park them anywhere. It's like, you know, in a different space or whatever. But yeah, it, it is interesting. And it, I think interesting to follow and interesting to just see where where it does end up going. What I do, particularly in Australia, what I do like about that micromobility trend is it gets different other vehicles, as in smaller vehicles, in people's eyes so then they're aware of them because particularly in in Australia in cities and in regional towns it's car 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 and maybe there's a cyclist and I think if people are it's like normalized to jump on a a bike or a scooter or whatever then it it brings that active transport in people's faces a bit more so it makes it a bit more normalized but I totally agree it's there's a balance there between public space and and pedestrians for sure, and the policies need to be right so then everybody can be safe, like on the footpath, on the road, et cetera, et cetera, and then how that will actually work. So it is interesting one to follow. And I think it's also a great example of what happens when companies with a lot of money meet cities that have no vision. So a city has no vision. It's already for decades been giving more and more space for car traffic. It's not doing anything to promote active mobility. Then a, a company comes, the, the mayor is happy. They say, yeah, look, we have uh, American companies coming here. Look how great it is. But if the city doesn't do anything, it doesn't have a vision about how their active mobility policy or how their mobility policy should, should look like with active modes, then what happens is that cars still enjoy their space and the weakest, uh, the weakest actor on the public space, which is us people, pedestrians, need to suffer uh, because now there is a, and, and then we create this terrible argument between pedestrians and cyclists or scooter users that all need to use the same very limited space. We sometimes have uh, car owners or drivers that say, ah, those uh, bicycle people, they are crazy. They just jump all over around. And yeah, we don't really create a solution where everybody can share the road. We just let the weakest, uh, the weakest uh, actors on the on the public space to fight with each other, and that's terrible. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I think that's a really good point and something that yeah, that's what the like that policy angle or like you know that vision. It's like, well, yeah, okay, we want different modes, but yeah, we've already got this tiny little limited area, so 
if we can expand that so we're actually encouraging more people on the active modes rather than the travel rather than discouraging people from the active modes potentially because they're conflicting with each other so much. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I very much enjoyed this Friday afternoon chat for me, Friday morning uh, where you are. I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Um, so I'm completely connected in all medias and <laughs> every platform. Um, so that's very smart of me. No, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> you can find me on uh, Twitter, mostly, Lior Steinberg uh, or Humankind City uh, and LinkedIn or just drop me an email and after a few weeks I will, be, <laughs> I will answer or meet me on the street, Corner Cafe, that's the best way to find me, uh, either in Rotterdam or Tel Aviv. Sounds perfect. We will put all the links in the show notes and it'd be great to be in the same place physically at one time or another, maybe in a little bit distant future given everything that is going on. But one day we'll make it happen. It's been so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thanks, Zoe. We'll talk soon. See you later. Bye. Bye. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.